So I'd say it's important to be frank about the risks and challenges that we'll, you'll face, but also be similarly frank about the benefits, the potential upside, any exposure it gives the university, which is always good. Hello, and welcome to the Strategic Partnerships podcast series. My name is Sarah Jabber, Manager Business Development at UIN, and your host for today. Today's episode is the second and last part of our conversation with Gregory Harper, Business Development Director at the University of Melbourne, Cindy Mahler, Director of University Innovation at Boeing, and Brandon Schneider, Manager of Project Affairs at University of California, Berkeley. If you haven't already listened to the previous episode on how to create an external engagement unit, make sure to check it out. Continuing the discussion from our previous episodes, our guests will share insights around transforming personal relationships into more strategic ones, different tracking systems they use with their organizations, and some tips on what to focus on when setting up an external engagement unit. We hope you will enjoy this discussion. How do you track different interactions or different relationships that exist uh, across the institutions? So I can share a little bit of what I've stood up over the last six months. We have a couple of things that we're doing. So in engineering specifically, because there is a need for so much engineering talent in, in the near future, we set up like kind of a trilateral organization, not, not a formal organization, but we matrix together as our engineering people strategy, which is responsible for our overall university engagement strategy at multiple touch points, um, our engineering HR team. And then I joined the team from the innovation side of things. Um, what is the R&D and pieces that we want to do together? So that's one way that we're going to develop some processes and put some additional structure in place at our company to be able to facilitate practices and clarify roles and responsibilities, as well as use, I mentioned earlier, we have university focals assigned to a number of universities. Utilize our university focals as that true connection point with the university such that they really have all the touch points back into Boeing, right? And can represent the, the full Boeing picture. If it's re research, is it this, is it that? And so, so that's one improvement we made. Um, from an R&D standpoint, some other improvements that we're in the process of making is that I've talked to many companies, and this is a very similar situation um, when you're at a large company, you don't know all the R&D that you do with universities across the globe. Like, I can tell you how much we spent in 2020, but I can't tell you what we did. So um, one of the things my team is responsible for going forward is going and finding out what is all of that research? Who's doing what? Why are they doing it? Um, what's the plan for the future? And while we're not controlling, I mentioned earlier, right, there's that decentralized process. I'm not controlling their money or telling them what to go do, but I want to be able to communicate the big picture and highlight within the company and show that these are the projects being done so that you can, at a glance, go find something if you're looking for it. Um, and then the last improvement we made was we stood up some new I'm not going to say the word. Okay, I'm going to say the word meetings, um, <laughs> where right, those matrix people could come together. So I have an international community that meets once a month to talk about our different strategies that we're doing in different regions and playing off of the interactions together to, to make improvements. And then there's another meeting that I set up that is about we have different business units within our company. So making sure we, we're talking within the business units about the types of um, R&D that we're doing. So 
those are just a few of the things we have in work, and I'm sure we're going to come up with more. Brandon, how do you uh, manage or track some of these different uh, interactions, touch points, uh, and opportunities? It's a, it's a good question. So we're in the process of transitioning to Salesforce, using Salesforce to, to track some of these elements. But on a most basic level, when we sign a contract and we have X, Y, or Z to do, we're tracking those on spreadsheets manually, to be perfectly frank. Um, we're transitioning to Salesforce, particularly for these smaller, more localized opportunities that we're developing. Also uh, applying Salesforce to the campus-wide relationships. But what we're finding in terms of developing these holistic relationships or tracking, let's say, not just our interaction with the company, but a campus-wide interaction with the company, Berkeley has five to six applicable databases that don't speak to each other. And so if I really wanted to have a holistic look of what is company X already doing on campus? I would have to go through five or six distinct databases between philanthropy, sponsored research, procurement, um, other forms of business contracts, whatever it might be, to try to get that picture. And so it's not going to happen anytime soon, but one of our unit's goals long-term is to try to find a way to integrate this data into a single source. It's not going to be the be-all, end-all, and solve all our problems, but hopefully it would give us a quick means to get a, snap, a snapshot of how are we already engaging with Company X. So if we want to go make a proposal to Company X, we're informed, we know our stuff, and we can make this compelling case to them. Mm -hmm. In time, in our specific case, we're using Salesforce and spreadsheets. And Greg? Yes, I realize we're probably a little bit further down this track. So we probably about seven years ago, we started with a, a Microsoft Access database. And then that evolved a few years ago into Salesforce. We're now, I don't know, maybe four years into Salesforce. And that's where all of the business development, engagement and partnering opportunities are registered in a bespoke instance of Salesforce. I do have exactly the same issue that Brandon has, that if you go into the historical databases that reflect on grants or sponsored grants and, and advancement, then you go into a you know an possible maze of non-communicative databases, and that doesn't work. So the, the CRM works very well in that regard. But we did need to put in place some expectations. So most of the input that for the CRM comes from the BD folks, and they're expected to be quite frank about the experiences, good and bad, that they're having. So what that means then is that's a record then. If, if I want to go, company X is wanting to talk to us, I can quickly go in and see, oh, we had a little conflict three years ago, but that's been sorted out, it allows me then to respond appropriately. And it means that we can't keep that CRM open for everybody because clearly it, it's um, sensitive and for a big organisation like ours, that would cause problems. I might raise one more thing. In terms of external parties looking into the university to say who might they engage with, simple mechanism at the top level, we have a thing called find an expert, which externally you can go in and you get a sense of our lead academics. But behind that, we created a bespoke thing we've called the Research Capability Mapping Tool. And we've used modern bioinformatics tools, really, to mine the international publication databases and present it. So as a BD person, I wanted to say, all right, I'd really like to put something together with Boeing. Who have we got around some particular bearing, right? And I can go in and search our database. Who's publishing? Who's commercializing the area of bearings? And I'll get a sense of the 
let's use the analogy of an intellectual landscape. I'll see who are the key long-term leaders and who are the emergent new innovators that are producing new information. So I get a sense quickly of what the human landscape looks like and I can engage with those people rather than, more importantly, going and engaging in the background rather than doing it you know, face-to-face because all of our folks, including myself, are, are pretty capable at, at pitching and, you know, um, that <laughs> That can get overwhelming. You're better to be looking at, well, who's actually publishing and getting high impact publications and patents in a particular area? I think that's the balance. Also, uh, really having that internal awareness of what capabilities do we have is extremely important. You've kind of touched on this, but there is a question around contact sharing and whether academics or uh, researchers, would they have access to these databases such as Salesforce? Uh, This is a topic that always comes up that Often contacts can be on a personal basis and uh, many uh, researchers or academics do not wish to share those contacts. Have you encountered that and how do you go about in terms of access? In our case, at least I can say it really doesn't apply to our situation. It's, it's really ad hoc so far, either me reaching out to academics on campus for potential opportunities or they're coming to us because we know we have a relationship with a company and they ask for an introduction or they ask if we know someone. But there hasn't been any type of request for formal database access or contact sharing of that nature. Mm -hmm. I I might just go back and reemphasize that point. So, yeah, we've made an active decision that there be, you know, no broad academic access to the Salesforce CRM. Uh, And because we've been quite frank about it, there's also the concerns about, you know, moral rights and people's expectations to be recognised for being the initiator of an idea or initiator of a relationship. We, We want to respect that. So in many ways, if I have an external contact from a new company, we've not met them before, then I'll try and work with that company first before I start to introduce academics. So in that level, I've intervened. On the other hand, if academics come with us and say, look, here's a specific relationship, I've been building it over a number of years, and we find that the academic staff are are critical to that relationship, then we do our best to respect that. Those personal relationships are critical. You know, some of these relationships quite reasonably are are built around sport or, you know, um, personal interest, clubs and things like that. I mean, we we don't want to intervene with that. It just, when the time comes, that it, it becomes a a formal contracted relationship. We need to make sure that we're respecting university values, qualities, and standards. We don't use Salesforce for our university relations. So, um, you know, when it comes to making those connections, right, there's a centralized approach where they can come in through my organization or they can come through the network organization. You know, if they see a media release about awesome, research, they're going to want to contact the person who did the research. And we welcome that, right? We're, we're not, we don't shy away from that. So on, on that, and maybe linking that back to what Greg was just saying, uh, maybe within a university setting, how do you then uh, create this environment or this culture where if a company does reach out to an academic and there is potential to develop it into something more formal, that they then link back into uh, to your roles or to the professional staff uh, responsible for engagement? In, in my case, that really doesn't touch our office directly. I think that's much more a Greg and, and Cindy situation. We would be brought in down the line for yeah. amplification of a relationship. It's more um, a direct with you that there is an opportunity, there is a need. So that that's really patchy, and it's it's appropriate that it be patchy because you know we um, the folks that we'll be dealing with in some cases are 
you know, very experienced senior professors who've had global reputations. And it's quite appropriate that companies approach them directly. So with folks like that, we're approaching them saying, look, here's what my office service offering is. Here's what we think we can add. Here are some risks and rewards from engaging with us more broadly. And that's particularly about if you're sitting as a leading researcher in a, even in a big group, you may not necessarily know that the company will be contacting some other part of the university. It's not unusual, for example, and particularly when we're trying to accelerate innovation in areas like agricultural technology, we'll absolutely be trying to draw on people who are innovating in defence to take a technology and apply it in a completely different circumstance. So you may not know those people at all. The approach we're taking with the newer and emerging researchers is to try and explain to them that there, there is this new way. You know, we're trying to develop stronger tools and stronger approaches, and they may be able to accelerate these relationships in a way that their predecessors didn't. And so with them, we're, we're trying to, through training courses, expose them to the, the service offering, explain that they, they may not have seen it in a, in a university where they've worked before, where they did their PhD or their postdocs. It's something that we as a as a large university really wanting to keep advancing something that we're developing and we hope is, is attractive for them. And so a, a bit of a measure for us mm -hmm. is that if we can develop services that academics will seriously miss, they go, oh, you know, when I was at University of Melbourne, I had this access to this particular tool, then, then that's a, a value proposition for us in this, this global um, compet competition for talent ultimately as Cindy talked about, you know, 200,000 engineers required in the aerospace industry. I mean, it's a very competitive marketplace. Thanks. And I think uh, also really interesting that you also look at the approaches between different levels of experience uh, with, with academics, because it, I mean, they do have different ways of, of working. Maybe a question for all of you. I think, Brandon, you mentioned that your team, your it's resource, you have the budget, and it's not necessarily dependent on, on revenue, if I understood that correctly. Um, and Greg, you also talked about introducing new incentives and sanctions. I'm uh, uh, wondering uh, for all of you, how do you then measure uh, performance of your of your units or of your team? Um, do you have specific KPIs that you look at or, or what are the drivers that um, define success? In some of our research agreements, right, we have the opportunity to bring that developed technology back into our company. Um, so I'm looking for how did we leverage if we right if our agreement allows us to do that, how are we leveraging that that back within the company and, and is it making its way to a product or platform down the road. Mm -hmm. um, another one is looking at the students, the PhD students, whether they work on the research at the university or through a graduate researcher program, and are we hiring them as a result of either of those programs? You know, so, so what does that ratio look like? So those are a couple metrics, you know, from a metric perspective that I'm interested in tracking going forward. Um, they haven't been tracked in the mm -hmm. past. I think also, you know, as we get into our road mapping activities, there'll be some mapping of, you know, what percentage of projects are we doing that map back into the more enterprise goals versus the one-offs, right? Because if you have limited dollars, I want to try to maximize the investment in what we're doing so that I can help as many teams as possible with a potential technology. Brandon? Yeah, I can, I can say for us, well, we are evaluated by the revenue we bring in and the overall campus impact we have in terms of additional services or products that might be available. We don't yet have hard metrics, for example, that are set that we have to meet. You know, you have to meet X dollars of revenue this year. 
that might come down the line. Um, but I think the, the thinking behind that is they want us to develop this revenue generating mechanism, make sure that it's done the right way and that the relationships aren't solely driven by revenue, that there is values alignment, that there are the appropriate standards are enforced. So the revenue is very important and, and we are evaluated against that. We don't have like a floor that we have to reach to be considered successful or not. I think there is a holistic evaluation of, of revenue, campus impact, but that it's done in the right way, in a way mm -hmm. that people feel good about, that aligns with Berkeley values, standards, et cetera. We're also being evaluated by senior leadership through a long-term lens of culture change or opening to new opportunities. Meaning, I think when our office was created in approximately 2015, there was uncertainty, some anxiety, and probably hostility to our activities and its creation. It's it's kind of a commercial entity on a nonprofit public university. But slowly but surely, I think we're helping to change some cultural dynamics around revenue generation at the university. And senior leadership is aware that that doesn't happen overnight. And that in addition to the hard dollars coming in, there is some work to be done to show a proof of concept. This can work. It can be done appropriately in a values aligned way. I really like that, that combination. I mean, I guess on the one hand, yes, you do need to have those quantitative indicators uh, to really make sure your, you know, your, your, that your business is functioning and, and operating, but not losing track of the organizational goals, what you're trying to achieve the cultural change and then the impact. And uh, Brandon, I also really like the, the values um, uh, element. And it's it's something we, we constantly see more and more of that maybe uh, in the past or still with some organizations, it's about I'll work with whoever can bring in the most money, but more and more it's becoming, no, it's a relationship. And so you need to really focus on the, the values and making sure uh, you can work together and, and both parties can, can benefit. Let's say an institution is currently building an external engagement office at the moment. Uh, what is the advice that you would give them? How would you secure buy-in from colleagues when it comes to establishing, let's say, a centralized uh, one-stop shop? And also what could be the most important positions in starting with that engagement office? It's a big question, um, but it would be great to hear your perspectives uh, based on, on your experiences. And maybe, Cindy, you can bring in also some of the elements you've seen in your research that you've done around what, what are the key, the key features that you need and how would, how would you go about setting it up? So on the industry side, I think timing is everything, <laughs> so to speak, right, is, you know, is there an appetite for change and finding a champion, right, an executive champion to kind of help shepherd that messaging along with it? I think those are two vital mm -hmm. components um, because it, if your company is just not embracing change at the moment, it's going to be a very hard upsell, regardless of how great your story is or how beneficial everything is. So I do think doing that networking and that navigating ahead of time is, is also critical, figuring out when is the right time to bring the idea forward. Some of the most vital positions so on the industry side, I think there's a couple of structural questions you'll want to ask yourself. Do you want to be centralized versus decentralized or a hybrid approach? Then based off of that answer, what are the goals for the office that you do want to stand up? And what, are, what will the responsibilities be that will then help you figure out your staffing needs? You know, is it a small handful of people in your office? Is it a bigger group of people? Are you going to matrix people in? Regardless if it's small or large, right, there's different organizations and companies. 
And how are you going to interact with the different organizations from an HR standpoint versus a research standpoint, um, you know, for hiring, et cetera. So those are some of the hints and tips I, I will leave you guys with. Thank you. Well, I might have a go next. I mean, what, a, what an exciting opportunity to, you know, <laughs> generate some um, new ideas from the ground up. That's absolutely uh, a wonderful thing. What I would say is that coming back to my initial comments, you, you really need to work with the governance level first, the board or the, the um, academic leaders, whatever it is in your particular university, and make sure that there's a clear understanding of where you're headed and an endorsement or where that's going to go. You know, that includes risk tolerance. It, it includes the, you know, the vision of that particular organisation and to be critical of, of our Australian innovation system, you know, we've tried to shoehorn all universities into a relatively narrow range of options. And elsewhere on earth, they don't tend to do that. Universities are freer to find their own particular mix. So not everybody is trying to be comprehensive. Some are focusing and, and identifying different structures and, and approaches going forward. So the governance level is, is really key. Then the next step for me would be aspects of co-design. So work out from the governance level, who is it you think are going to be your really key collaborators? Is it governments? Is it large corporates? Is it communities and, and non-government organisations? And, and co-design what the appropriate structure is, because if you're a university driven by innovation through the small to medium enterprise model, then, then you'll have quite a different structure than one who's delivering primarily to government or international objectives. And one of the challenges, to finish up, one of the challenges my, my colleague Darby LaFerla from Sensand always throws to me is it's great to be benchmarking, but just remember you might be out there in the lead. You, there may be no benchmarks for, you, for what you're trying to do. So, you know, make sure you're thinking in a creative way that, you know, maybe there's a structure that we've not yet experimented with. Thanks, Thanks. Mary. I, I don't have too much to add to the buy-in. I think what Cindy and, and Gray have mentioned is, is perfectly apt. Um, I would say it's important to have a senior level champion to be kind of your guide or, or, or champion, for lack of a better word, with the upper upper management. And then I think these types of offices, at least in our case, with a couple of relationships, they can make their own economic sense. Our unit brings in much more revenue than we cost to the university at present. So that's an easy uh, sell in a certain sense. But you can also tout the benefits of potential programs, at least like ours, and be frank about the risks. So some people at Berkeley are sensitive or, or have anxiety about commercial partners or sponsorship relationships, but we can also point to philanthropy that's coming in as part of these relationships or research and innovation connections that are being established. So I'd say it's important to be frank about the risk and challenges that we'll, you'll face, but also be similarly frank about the benefits, the potential upside and the exposure it gives the university, which is always good. And in terms of starting the team, that's really a hard one for me. I think most important, I would look at a skill set, and I think it's fundamental to have people that understand both the business perspective and the university culture and the university organizational structure. And, and your job is to kind of matchmake between those. So from there, you could navigate, do you dedicate someone to new business and someone to implementation? Um, do you need a marketing and communications person to blow out the message and kind of keep everyone on board? In our case, we have four people. Other offices that do what we do have two to three people. Maybe sometimes it's an individual doing, you know, wearing nine hats at once. I think it depends on the scale and the scope of what the university can bear. But it's fundamental to understand the business and the university and to be able to matchmake between those. Exactly. All great uh, advice. 
and um, some food for thought for, for everyone. I think that uh, you've all touched on the interaction between, yeah, it's not so much about, um, oh, okay, let's, let's go set something up, but it, it really has to align with what are, you, what are you actually trying to do and how can you then implement the right structures, um, staff, roles. Uh, Brandon, what you said about skill set, I think is, is key. You know, what role would this unit have and therefore what kind of skills do you need to help navigate that? Any uh, final reflections from any of you uh, before we wrap up? Um, recognizing as well, there is a final question. I think it's more towards Cindy around maybe reflecting on some of the challenges that companies face when working with universities. Maybe some advice on that end that you might have for universities around how can they better engage with companies? Let's see. And, <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a comment I mentioned earlier where if there isn't, you know, that front door to come into, right, we kind of waffle around trying to find and make the right connections. So having somebody who can help shepherd you through the university, um, I think key, really, from an industry side. But it goes both ways. I said it earlier, right? <laughs> We don't do it perfectly in industry either. And, you know, I even shared that we're centralized and decentralized. And it's much harder to go find who you want to work with if you don't have that already established relationship. So I think that's an improvement we can make on both sides. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Thank you. Any uh, final comments, Greg or Brandon? Uh, I might just make the comment. Thanks again, Sarah. I, I found the... Um, you know, the fact that UIIN is operating on this global scale is great and we're getting a real opportunity that, you know, maybe we would have occasionally had this opportunity when we were travelling around going to international meetings and things and meeting up with colleagues, but but this under the circumstances has been fantastic. So we get a chance to have a, a broader uh, conversation around the profession and the idea. So thanks again. Definitely, of course. And uh, thank you all for joining because I think you, you bring these perspectives um, and really help, uh, help us make sure that we can share this with our community. And I've, I think the, the struggle is always finding, uh, <laughs> getting the different time zones to align. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Sarah. All right. In that, um, on that note, then, uh, I'd like to thank you, uh, Brandon, Greg, and Cindy for joining us and for really being open and sharing your, your insights and your views. Um, there's been so many interesting um, aspects that have, we've covered in today's session. Uh, I think a lot of them we could probably keep talking about um, for another few hours, but um, we have reached the end of the session. Thank you and have a good uh, day, evening, night. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you everyone, Thank you. it was great to do the panel. Thank you everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's discussion. Stay tuned for the next episode on the Strategic Partnerships podcast series. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and LinkedIn and sign up for our podcast newsletter at uiin.org.